Welcome to Rainbow Rated, where the podcast where we are going to look into all areas of entertainment, food, business, whatever you want to, and have a bit of a rate and discussion on those topics. Today's topics are all about LGBTQ plus films. So word of warning, first of all, some of this topic might be heavy handed for everyone, as some of the films we can look into might delve into some quite deep, meaningful and some harsh topics that people might not be comfortable listening to. So just a bit of a fair warning there for everyone listening and tuning in now. I'm joined by people of the world of entertainment, of food, of the masses. So today I am joined by Lauren and Josh. Lauren, introduce yourself. Let everyone know who you are. Hi, I'm Lauren. I'm at The Sweet Shrimp over on Twitter. Um, I say stupid stuff on there. And I also um, stream some lovely tabletop RPGs over on Heavyweight Gaming and soon to come on the Short Rest Tavern over on Twitch. Excellent. And I've also got Josh here. Josh, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Josh. I don't have Twitter. Um, yeah. <laughs> if you want to hear uh, more from me, I am on YouTube at the Taverners podcast, as it's the only place you can listen to it currently, as we have issues with uploading it everywhere else. So just to give you a bit of information, the top 10 LGBTQ plus films um, as rated by Rotten Tomatoes and a lot of public votes out there are as follows. At number 10, you've got My Own Private Idaho, which came out in 1991. Number nine, we've got Un Chat d'Amour, which came out in 1950. We've got All About My Mother from 1999. We've got My Beautiful Laundrette from 1985. Tropical Milady came in at number six in 2004. We've got Paris is Burning from 1990. Brokeback Mountain from 2005. Happy Together from 1997. The Weekend at number two by uh, 2011 and in 2015 the number one top lgbtq plus film was carol now have we heard of any of those films in the top 10 i've heard of about 70 percent of them i think um so seven of them um i've definitely heard of carol um kate blanchett is uh, absolutely stunning in that um and is it rooney mara yes <laughs> alongside her um i think she plays the titular car carol i can't quite recall um but yeah that was an utterly beautiful movie what were some of the other ones i can't remember the top 10 hang on so right so some of them include the classic one i suppose the one that everyone's probably heard of is Brokeback mountain i've never uh, seen it no i've not seen it either but it's like the, it was very in its day because i think it was one of the very first almost mainstream films out there for the gay community to appear um, so Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal mm -hmm. in that role uh, so they were in there Paris is Burning people might not have heard what or seen the film but if you watch RuPaul's Drag Race you've heard of it because reading is the what? ball culture fundamental yeah. and the whole ball culture is really epitomised within that movie um, the New York ball scene which is translated in well across the world now and you see it a lot in RuPaul's Drag Race that culture is celebrated there uh, what's Moonlight on that list? No, it's not oh. voted as one of the top tens. It was probably, that on IMDb? Uh, this was one done by the Cinema Association, one of the many cinema associations out there, because there's okay. so many lists as well. Um, so that's just some of the films that are out there. Obviously, we're going to be talking underrated films, so ones that have not made on that list, ones mm. people might not have heard of before, or ones that people might have just gone, oh, that sounds familiar, didn't realise it had... LGBTQ plus kind of undertones. Yeah, because um, when I was going through a few films, like thinking about what I should do, um, pick for this, there was a few films that I completely forgot would be classed as LGBTQ plus films um, because I, I, as good films should be, they should just be films. They shouldn't really be um, marginalised and just be enjoyed as it is. And um, if like some of these films if they had kind of pushed the marketing as it being an LGBTQ plus film, I don't think it would have had quite a broad appeal. So is that kind of like, a, like just sneaking in the gaze, uh, especially since <laughs> some of these were in the nineties when it wasn't really a big thing. So seeing mm. some of this representation there um, was really good. Yeah. So out of yeah. that list, we've got four from the nineties, mm. one from the eighties, one from the fifties and the rest are from Ooh. like, the noughties onwards as mm. well. I've got, um because I was going through like a few that I absolutely love and 
I think some of them, uh, I've got a few from the 90s and a few from the noughties. I don't think I've got any from the, oh no, there's one from the teens. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we'll go with. Yeah, the teens. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so quite a lot of films, obviously for this podcast, we are mainly looking at those that have been advertised as um, LGBTQ plus films, sort of have the gay communities as, as the heart of the film, kind of quite aligned throughout the film. Uh, some of the fun facts that, fun facts, some of the facts that we found during our research here, and I say we, like I've got a team of people doing all this research <laughs> for me. Every podcast I've gone, we, and I'm like, it's just me. It's just me doing this research. Own it, own it. You own did it. it. You did the um, work. So this is not just for films, but kind of LGBTQ community in terms of media altogether. Uh, some of the top 50 moments since Stonewall, there's a whole massive list. And again, a nice order of top 50. Will and Grace being on TV came top because it was the very first time in primetime TV that there was a homosexual male character as the lead character in a show, which hadn't really been shown. Yes, Ellen had it, but then her show got cancelled when she came out. So this is the first kind of made for TV with a point of having kind of homosexual homosexuality as a centre. Yeah, uh, she wasn't gay when it started. She came out like throughout the season. So um, yeah, Will and Grace started with the with a gay bang. Yeah. Yeah, phrasing. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Next year is to be seeing the first male male big studio picture so so yes the films we've talked about have had male on male female on female all different kind of spectrums from the lgbtq plus but next year is the first very big studio picture and it's going to be a film called bros uh, that's going to be seen next year bros it, bros yeah it's an odd title oh. for it um anyone want to take a guess at the highest grossing lgbt plus film um Ooh. rocky horror picture show no, that's a good guess though. You think because of all the re-releases and everything. Black Swan. Not Black Swan. Josh, got any guesses? Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the one I just thought of because everything has just escaped my mind as soon as you pressed record. Uh, <laughs> Broke back? No. Oh, it's not been listed. Uh, I'm trying to oh. think of the one that Robin Williams is in. A birdcage. Yeah, birdcage. Sadly, not that either. So I can tell you that um, the second grossing film, making $230 million, was okay. The Imitation Game with Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh, Alan Turing's film. okay. But the highest grossing... Is it the Danish woman? No. It's no. actually reaching $900 million, Bohemian Rhapsody. Of course. Uh, See, I just think of that as a Queen biopic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, I mean, <laughs> true. Uh, Bossy, Freddie Mercury, has the tones there. Maybe not mm. as much, or it's focused and not really said, but it's there kind of as an undercurrent. Um, in terms of acting, uh, there's, this is very so focused on Netflix. The top three highest grossing actors on Netflix and we'll use actors loosely because you'll see why in a moment. Uh, we've got Kristen Stewart, at $70 million, she earns a year. Mm. Oh. We've got RuPaul Charles. Oh, of course. He earns $60 million a year. Not from AJ and the Queen. But we've also got as well, Gillian Anderson, who earns $40 million a year. So Kristen Stewart is the highest grossing actor on Netflix. She can be a fantastic actress. Like some of the, the indie stuff she does is amazing. It's unfortunate that some of her big budget stuff is a little vapid. There's a lovely film she's got out that came out at Christmas. I think it's called The Happiest Season. Yes. Um, and that is such a lovely, I say lovely mm. film, obviously there's a few other scenes, but it's such a kind of nice peaceful scene and family moment and quite an all-star cast as well. Aubrey uh, Plaza's in it and like, oof. Dan Levy, Victor Garber, just... I haven't seen that actually. It's cute. Yeah. And moving on from actors to actually shows, but it's still kind of keeping with actors. Does anyone want to take a guess at what, which show has got the highest number of LG, LG, yeah, LGBT plus actors in TV history? Euphoria? Not Euphoria. Uh, 
It's on the oh, BBC. Oh, oh, I was thinking Pose. Um, it is, yeah, because that's on the BBC. Oh, is it? I didn't yeah, realise. It's on Netflix, but obviously BBC had it first. It ah. has got, just so for numbers, 140 trans actors and crew members. Wow. And nice. 35 non-trans LGBTQ plus um, characters yes. and actors in there as well. So it's got quite the high, it's the highest number of trans and gay community actors and crew members in any one TV show since TV shows have been started made. So well done to Pose. Lee Porter's fabulous. Uh, I think they're coming well, back. Well, they're all for, fabulous. But, they're yeah. coming back for a third and final series. Oh, cute. Yeah, uh, from what I've heard. So that's just kind of some information about films and TV shows people might not have heard before. Now is the time where we are going to talk about our underrated films. So each one of us has picked an underrated film that has got the LGBTQ community at there at the heart. We're going to talk about it and then the others will discuss it as well once we finish talking about it. My film is called Clapham Junction. Now, it came out in 2007 to celebrate 20 years of Channel 4. So it did start off as a TV movie, but it's now made into a movie in its own right. So it is available on streaming services like Amazon Prime. The story is actually set in within 36-hour block. So it's 36 hours seeing the lives of people that live around Clapham Junction. The most of the lead characters in this are gay-led characters. So you sort of see how their lives unfold within 36 hours. Interaction. Think films a bit like Love Actually and Mother's Day, those types of films where you see people crossing over in all sorts. Now, the topics they deal with this in their film are obviously reactions to people either coming out as gay or dealing with their lives as they are gay men. There's a wedding in there. There's business meetings in there. There's some meetings in toilets in there as well. Um, but the thing that stuck out for me with this film is there are a couple of lines at the very start of the film where one of the characters is meeting with a TV producer to make this new TV show, to make this new film, because they've worked together in the past and want to work again. After finishing and reading the entire script, the producer turns around and goes, oh, the whole gay thing, is it really an issue anymore? I mean, what's the problem? It's been done, we've moved on, it's accepted. And the lines kind of really stuck with me as a big, powerful film at the moment because it's very much... Just because it's on TV doesn't mean it's accepted, it's moved on. Especially when the film deals with other underlying themes as well, where the fact that in one of the scenes, someone gets beaten up to death and actually relates to a real-life murder that happened in Clapham Common, which obviously, at the time of recording of this, that has been a massive presence over the past couple of weeks as well, for what's happened in Clapham Common, uh, which is a terrible thing that no one should ever happen to them or happen to any member of their family, anyone that they know at all. No one condones any violence whatsoever. But that's because it was uh, because the film inspired by that real life murder way, way back, where unfortunately the person who passed away was unrecognizable apart from his dental records and thumbprints. They use that as part of a setting for this film as well. This film also quite deals with the five stages of grief in quite a weird contexty way so not only uh, do we start off with someone having quite a bit of anger because we do have someone attack we have denial because someone is actually meets up with someone they met up in the toilet and was there for the attack but denies being there totally we have someone dealing with grief because there's the death of their partner and also the death um cheat, find out someone's cheating on them we have depression because we have the reveal of the cheating we have a horrible scene where unfortunately someone trying to come to terms with their own sexuality can't deal with it so ends up smashing a guy in his head with a bottle, putting fags down his mouth and peeing on him, which is just a horrific scene that you kind of very, it's very difficult to watch. So I'm sure for the actors, it's very difficult. There is also a nicer tone of acceptance because there's a nice wedding as well. Uh, kind of all of that underlines as a film together, kind of showing how life was like, even just seven, uh, 14 years ago for LGBT plus people, but also kind of shines some light on today, the fact that just because we've had a film or some characters, uh, and even now, like the, like the TV show, It's a Sin, doesn't mean it's still accepted because there are lots of other people dealing with issues and we've got to make sure that people can be free as they are, but also find that they can find a face face to be who they are as well. So that's why I think it's quite an underrated film because it deals with so much uh, for the community in just kind of an hour and a half of a film itself and shows quite a lot of different age levels. So we do have bits where we see um, kind of 16-year-olds in school running away, trying, uh, trying to avoid the bullies. We have people at weddings a little bit older. So we do have a massive age range of people also highlighted and shown within that film. So that's why it is an underrated film for me. 
any thoughts, guys? Have you seen this film? Have you heard about this film? I've heard about it, but I haven't seen it myself. But um, I think those kind of films are really important because um, a lot of people, they they see kind of a lot of hate crimes and things in the news, but they always think, oh, that's, that's happening to someone else. Or they'll see media, um, like films about it. and think, Oh, that's what it was like years ago. So at the time, it was very fresh. It was very relevant to the world at the time. It's actually still very relevant right now. Um, and it's kind of creates that emphasis, like we need to change this. Like It's a Sin, for example, um, is fantastic at depicting what happened in 1980s with everything. But some people can view it as kind of like a piece of history more than um, a message to the modern age where like, if we don't take note of it, history will repeat itself. They're like, oh, that's what happens in the 80s. That doesn't happen anymore. But um, from what you described and what I um, read up about it, um, Comic-Con was a real snapshot of what was happening there at the time. And it was really, really important for the community then. And I think they should start re-showing it on TV now, like especially since people are more open to seeing that kind of media. Because at the when that film came out, a lot of people who would have seen it would have been just part of the community. I don't think it would have reached a wider audience because it wasn't quite mainstream. But now, especially with things like It's Sin, Poils, um, RuPaul's Drag Race as well, creating more visual um, representation um, in the media, um, you can share those kind of stories more freely and create more awareness. So um, I think like it's absolutely a really, really important piece of media that um, needs to be more widely recognized. Yeah, um, that definitely sounds like a film that's going to make me cry. Um, I'm a very emotional person, especially when you said the, um, the person not coming to uh, accept who they are battling with, like, what's going on in their head that is something I kind of resonate with a little bit too much um so it does sound like uh I'm gonna cry at that so I'm definitely gonna give that a watch um, yeah it's whole as emotional film that uh, there's elements throughout it as well there's also like um not just the one scene because there's a carry on scene of it but there's a dinner table scene where people kind of meet up for dinner and they hear a scream and think nothing of it Obviously, then it's later to be revealed to be someone has been attacked. Um, and then you have one person who hosted the dinner party. Her reaction is very much, that's someone's child out there. How can someone do that? Whereas another person's reaction is, oh, dirty, filthy men. They deserve, all men like that deserve to be beaten. So it's a horrible topic, but kind of seeing played off uh, about a, uh, about four people, not four, about eight people around this table. So it's quite an interesting how they decide and which side they take, especially because one couple have got a kid at home that's trying to lose his virginity a little bit and get with an older person and someone else doesn't know that their partner is actually secretly going to meetings and liaisons with other men like after work and things like that so it's quite an interesting kind of just that in itself is quite an interesting topic to see it being talked about especially with that person saying like oh um thinking that the person deserved it We've been talking about all that all this week with what happened in Clapham, um, like women or like or any member of the LGBTQ community deserve it because they're out late at night because of what they're wearing or anything like that. It's like no one deserves to be attacked just for being who they are and existing. Like no one deserves that. Like no matter what you believe, no matter what you think your deity thinks of these people, they're still humans. They still deserve basic rights of being able to feel safe when they're out. And now with his underrated film choice for the LGBTQ plus site, this is Josh. So uh, the film I have chosen to talk about is a uh, quite a small film that came out in 2020. So it's fairly new um, called The Summer of 85. Uh, I'll start with the reason I think maybe not a lot of people have heard of it and maybe it is a little bit underrated is because it is a French film. Um, it's not in English. It has English subtitles, but the entire film is in French. So it probably scares a couple of people away as some people don't want to read when they're watching a film maybe, but I do urge people to give it a try. It was fantastic. Um, directed by Francois Ozon. Um, 
he intended this film to be his first film, um, I believe, if I'm remembering this fact correctly, because um, the novel it's based on uh, spoke to him uh, on an emotional level, um, but it took so long to prepare, it ended up being his seventh. Um, so yeah, it took him quite a bit of time to get the film ready. Um, uh, Summer of 85 is based in Normandy, and it's uh, about a boy called, um, and pardon my pron- pronunciation, Alexis, because it's the French pron- pronunciation of the, of the name, um, about his journey on discovering his sexuality and kind of who he is as a person, as he's kind of new to the area. And he meets a older, older lad called David um, when his boat capsizes and David uh, saves him. Um, the film is quite emotional um, as the reason I chose it, the reason I watched it in the first place was the introduction to the film states that David dies. Um, so it's not a spoiler because you're told from the beginning he dies by the end of the film. Um, and Al- Alexis is quite fascinated by death. It, he talks about death a lot in the film so uh if you don't like discussing death maybe stay away from the film um you do there isn't a large cast it's a very small number of people the other cast members uh you do meet are people like david's mom um and alexis's um mom and dad and lastly a girl called kate and that is the entire cast there are smaller characters that kind of make an appearance like a friend of Alex's. Um, but he's in two scenes and that's it. Uh, again, it's, uh, it's definitely, it's a film that kind of touches on experiencing love for the first time and then also experiencing jealousy and then mourning. So he's feeling these emotions for the first time. And he just doesn't really know how to process any of it. Um, especially when the character of Kate is introduced. And when you, they the characters start talking with Kate, it definitely shows off how the character writing and the acting is superb because it's one of the first films I've watched where you can actually you can actually see that these people might be real. The encounters they have are realistic. The conversations they have, you can actually imagine them happening in front of you, even if they are in French. Um, I thought of this because Kate is an English uh, person who moved to France. Well, no, she's on holiday in France and she's trying to get better at speaking English. And that's why she speaks to Alexis in the first place. And you can hear she is English. Like she's speaking in French in a very English way, um, kind of butchering some of the pronunciations uh, forgetting some of the words and saying the English word instead. Um, and even when Alexis is talking to her, he, she has to ask what certain words mean because she obviously hasn't heard of it. And it's, it's a very realistic encounter. Um, it's another reason why I absolutely love this film and think people should watch it is because the relationship between David and Alexis is, again, a very realistic one even just the way they look at each other is it's, it's just very realistic and very powerful. Um, if you have gone through the whole coming out or the, the experience of finding out who you are, it's a very uh, touching film and can hit quite close to home. Um, a scene I absolutely love is at one point, um, David and Alexis are in a nightclub, although they're quite young, because Alexis, I believe in the film, is 17. Um, But they're in a club and they're dancing. And this scene has no talking in it at all. But all of a sudden, David walks up to Alexis and puts headphones on him and starts playing a love song instead of the club music. And while everyone else is dancing and raving around Alexis, he's listening to this love song and just kind of swaying to it. And... No speaking at all, but it's a very powerful, um, powerful love scene as he's just kind of staring at David while he's listening to this love song. 
and you do hear this love song um, once more in one of the final scenes um, after Alec, uh, after David has passed. Um, no, I won't spoil it too much because it's, I do enjoy that scene uh, a lot. And it's kind of an emotional one as uh, David has one request from Alexis and that is if he ever dies when he knows him to dance on his grave. It's quite a strange request, uh, but as you can imagine, I have spoiled it already, but he does fulfill that promise. Um, and I cried when he did. <laughs> um, also, I do have to give a trigger warning, though, if anyone is triggered by um, any, a discussion of suicide, cutting, uh, self-harm or depression, after David has died, it's discussed a lot. David doesn't die in that way. It's an accident how David dies, but it is discussed and shown a lot. So viewers' discretion is advised when watching near the end of this film. Um, and the film kind of switches between the, the whole summer that, uh, Alexis and David have spent together and the investigation of what happened to um, David afterwards. So it's kind of Alexis telling his own story and the events of meeting David and spending time with him. And it's very heartbreaking to see this character who you do end up loving go through these things. Um, another powerful story in it is the story of his dad um, Alex's dad, because when you first meet him in the film, he's very harsh. He's blunt with his own son. You kind of see he's not a very nice man. But after David dies, uh, he can see his son's not doing well. And you can see the change in from a stubborn father to a loving one. And that's very uh, impactful, I feel, because you can finally see that he's showing emotion maybe for the first time of his son um and that's all i'm really going to discuss i don't want to spoil too much because it is absolutely brilliant film do not let the fact that it's french put you off read the subtitles it's absolutely brilliant there you go what do you guys think of that that sounds beautiful and I, um, I did have a quick look up at the film and um, I was quite confused when I saw the title of the book was Dance on Your Grave and now, now that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but it sounds absolutely stunning and a re really, really impactful story that uh, could um, just bring people a little bit of joy and pathos in this uh, weird time that we're in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's something about, I feel, foreign films. Maybe it's because obviously you don't have the a direct translation to you, either reading subtitles or sometimes the films are dubbed. Like you kind of get lost in it a little bit more because it's easier to, not as an escapism, because you know obviously there's a language barrier. So you're kind of picking up more on things that are more visual clues. So you kind of put your heart more into it because you want to find out what's going on more. So, I mean... <laughs> soon as when you went oh yeah you find out straight away he dies i'm like oh oh god okay yeah, the, the introduction um has him being pulled away by police um to an uh, to a, a, a investigation room where they're kind of are going to talk to him mm. and he's talking in his head and he looks dead at the camera and says david is dead so if you think this is a story about happiness you're at the wrong place which I kind of like. I mean, mm. it's. Um, I have this discussion with another friend of mine. Like, there's so many stories of like TV shows and films that always have to end with a happy ending. Like, not being a masochist or whatever, but sometimes you want one with a bit of a sadder ending because. Or they use the deaths as kind of like a punch in the uh, in the throat. Kind of like, is it one day the one with Anne Hathaway, where like she is the her best friend like they kind of meet each day on a particular day each year and then they just catch up with a relationship each mm. each day of the year and then they finally get together and then uh spoiler alert, she gets hit by a truck oh yeah so it's that kind of like 
oh shock like it's a love story but we're gonna kick you in the teeth like no just like it can be a love story but like you can also be up front with it at the start so we know what we're getting into and create a different kind of feeling around that story and it engage it allows you to kind of engage fully with the couple knowing that this is finite and you kind of have that underlying feel of kind of sadness like oh it's so beautiful but it's it's going to end soon and it brings a whole other level into the film that you're watching Uh, okay watching the film um through is like heartbreaking not even just like alex's story on his own like his mother like david's mother's story is absolutely heartbreaking as well because when she finds out about david's death she blames alexis because before it happens alexis and david have an argument quite a bad one and alexis storms off and then you hear about it. He hears about it the next day on the news. And just kind of watching what happens to him after that is, he goes on a bit of a self-destructive journey um, in blaming himself, then blaming Kate, and then blaming himself again after he's met up with Kate and spoke to her. Because um, there's a whole different story of like David and Kate, because you find out that uh, David isn't exactly like straight gay because he does flirt with Kate and at one point in a nightclub kisses her in front of Alexis very complicated relationship that goes on in the film <laughs> but absolutely brilliant I think it's quite not nice is the wrong word but like, interesting from the obviously the, uh, the book obviously might be completely different because obviously the amount of times books and films get lost in translation a little bit. But mm. from seeing it from the point of view of after, because a lot of films will either do, especially like for the gay community films, will either do the I have to die because that's, I can't live being gay, lesbian, bi, trans, whatever. Or they'll end it with like, I can't carry on anymore, done. And that's kind of how they end it, a few of them. So to end it with, or to have that bit where someone dies and you see kind of the aftermath of it is quite a clever decision because I think it's something that people don't really see very much. And to mm. see that afterwards and how different people deal with it, react with it, um, can be is quite clever because then it's not just showing it's about this end of. It's nice having, it's not nice, but almost having a bit of a closure of the reactions works quite nicely because then it shows people maybe getting away from a kind of a taboo subject and making it more like having natural, having that conversation available so people can talk to others about it, especially um, in quite a few different circumstances. It humanises it because grief is a universal experience and everyone will experience grief in their life. It's not something you wish on someone else, but by showing these stories, which may be different to um, some of the audience watching it, but the experiences themselves, like the grief, the pain and everything they go through, uh, love as well, is, is the same. It's universal. By showing the entire experience, not just that one kind of snapshot, it also normalizes it and brings it more into the, the cultural zeitgeist and makes people more aware of what's going on, Makes just makes it more normal so people can accept it more, those who maybe a bit have a bit of a barrier about it a bit of a stigma about it an interesting fact i just thought about and forgot to mention it completely um because tom and lauren you've just reminded me is for a film based in the 80s mm. they don't talk about the fact that then their love wouldn't be accepted like at all like when david is alive and him and alexis are spending a lot of time together they it's very much like david uh, david um, doesn't seem to care what other people think. Was it a bit more just... accepted in France at the time or not? I'm not sure. Um, they mention it um, once in the film after David's died, um, mm. saying that the, the exact quote is from Kate and says the guard wouldn't exactly accept two men being in love. Mm. And like that's one of the only times it's actually mentioned. But Kate's and... English, wasn't she? Yes. Yeah, so maybe that's her prejudice from coming from England. Yeah, 
Mm. but it is it's a very nice change of pace to see that one of the focuses isn't the fact that their love isn't accepted it kind of just goes this is a love story and that is it mm. And I quite like that. I'd quite like the fact they don't focus on everyone else around them wouldn't accept it because no one else around them matters. Now with her underrated choice of LGBTQ plus film, it's Laura. Hi. So um, I had a bit of a difficult time choosing one. Um, I did set myself a challenge to do either a lesbian or a bi one because I thought you two would be doing um gay films and there is the one I picked is one I watched recently and I do love but um a couple of the other ones I was thinking about was uh, The Handmaiden which um harkens uh back to Josh's thing about subtitle because that is a Korean film so lots of subtitles there uh the favorite but that I can't really call that underrated Chasing Amy which is a really fun film from the 90s by Kevin Smith. Got Ben Affleck in it. Um, But I settled on this one because it is extremely underrated. Not many people have heard of it. Um, It absolutely tanked at the box office back in uh, 2004. It only made back uh, 97,000 of its 3.5 million budget. Um, It's got a rating of uh, 55 uh, percent audience score and uh, 41% tomato meter on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. So it's a it's a divisive film, but I just like it because it's stupid. Um, and it's very, very different to your two films. And it's a film called Debs or D-E-B-S. Um, so quite a right turn to your films, but I chose it because there's not a lot of schlocky fun um lesbian films out there or gay films in general where it's just just stupid fun um that i found and this one you do not take it seriously you just chuck it on and just enjoy the ride basically and it is a film about a group of super spies who are part of the devs academy and devs stands for um would you get it discipline energy beauty and strength so they're all set into teams of four and they go on espionage missions dressed as schoolgirls, as you do. Um, and their principal is Holland Taylor. And uh, the vice principal is Michael Clark Duncan. Um, so two very iconic um, actors there. Um, Holland Taylor, iconic lesbian actress as well. Uh, Michael Clark Duncan is just fantastic. You'll know him from Green Mile, Sin City, all those kind of films. Um, and you follow... Uh, the leader of this Deb squad uh, called Amy, played by Sarah Foster, which you might know from 90210. And um, she has just broken up with her boyfriend and he keeps trying to get her back and she's just not into it. And then they go on a mission to try and um, kind of get this evil supervillain called Lucy Diamond, who is played uh, by Jordana Brewster, who you might know from uh, the Fast and Furious films or that lot. Um, Jordana's booster character, uh, Jordana Brewster's character is um, a lesbian. Uh, you can find out from the get-go because they are spying out on her at a date, at a blind date that her friend uh, set up, who was played by Jimmy Simpson, which you might know from Westworld. He played William, and he's also been on um, Always Sunny in Philadelphia as a very different character. But uh, she's just trying to get back into the dating field and all these um, agents think she is planning uh, some sort of big heist because her blind date is a ex-Russian spy. Um, so obviously they think that they are convening for a nefarious scheme, but they're just trying to go on a date. It doesn't work out. So Lucy ends up uh, in a shoot off with um, all of the agencies there and gets cornered by our main character. And they end up having a little chat and having a little flirt. And uh, Amy, the lead character, starts to discover, like, I might be into her. So it's kind of like a coming into her own sexuality film, as well as a stupid spy, campy comedy. Um, As the film goes on, um, Amy gets kidnapped by Lucy. And I say kidnapped in air quotes because they just go off together to kind of just hang out and figure out if they're into each other. Um, And they get... uh, they get found out by the rest of the Debs and then there's the whole awkward scene where people are trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, like, are you kidnapped? Are you lying to us? That kind of intrigue. And Lucy decides to try and um, 
change her ways so she can win back Amy and become a good person and not an evil supervillain and give back money to all the banks that she robbed and stop trying to blow up the moon, which is actually a plot line in this film because she's trying to get diamonds to blow up the moon. Stupid. Um, and the film goes on and uh, then they're trying to get Amy to kind of suppress her feelings for Lucy and pretend to be going back out with her boyfriend from the start of the film. But Lucy comes and saves the day and they run off into the sunset together. Um, it is absolutely stupid fun. You're not going to take it seriously. It's just nice to see those kind of films being um, made for other um, kind of identities because you usually see those kind of comedy romps with either like as a buddy comedy or um, your standard heterosexual couple like this one is not really like it's never mentioned or made a big thing of that Lucy is a lesbian like she just is her mate Jimmy who is her like lead henchman um, his name is Scud in the film um, like it's never a big thing he's just like you need to get back out there you need to get on the dating field it's just it's like it's it's never made a big thing. And for the early noughties, that was very refreshing. Um, and it's never, like there's a couple of bits where like um, Amy's friends kind of go, what are you doing with a girl? And slightly look down on her, but it's never, they never make it like, oh, that's disgusting. You shouldn't be doing that. Like she's, the reason she's made uh, to feel bad about it is because she's a supervillain rather than she's a girl more than anything, um, which is the right way to do that. Also, it shows um, strong, badass women just kicking ass because Jordana is uh, um, Lucy Diamond. She is a supervillain and no one questions why a woman's a supervillain or underestimates her. She is the worst supervillain in the world. She's the most um, ruthless. She is the most threatening and the people best equipped to try and fight her and uh, bring her down are a group of women. Like there are some other agencies which are men involved, but um, they know that they're not the best people for the job. So they're just there to kind of support um, and get out of the way when needed. So um, it's just, it was kind of an empowering film, a just really, really fun thing to watch when you feel a bit down and you just want a fun, romantic comedy, shoot them up, schlocky, film <laughs> yeah so what do you guys think about that <laughs> uh sounds insane <laughs> oh it's so stupid it's great <laughs> and i can't wait for to finish recording so i can go and watch that yeah um, it's got um a bunch of quite iconic people in it so it's got like um like i said sarah foster and jordana brewster uh devon aoki who plays um dominique uh, she's from sin city um, you might recognize her. Um, Megan Good, who um, more recently, she played the adult version of Dala in Shazam when the family Shazam up. Um, like I said, Holland Taylor as well, Michael Clark Duncan. Um, Jessica Caulfield plays the Russian spy. You might know her from Legally Blonde. She's the blonde friend oh. there. Yeah, Margot. Um, so there's a lot of recognizable um, people in there. And it's, it's just really fun and stupid. <laughs> I think right now in like this day and age, we all need something to cheer us up a little bit. So mm. definitely going to watch that. It's it's interesting because like, yeah, when people do campy or camp films, it's very difficult to get certain characters right. And I think mm -hmm. the fact that they don't, not play on it, but they don't mention that like it's the fact that she's a supervillain rather than she's into women. Like that's quite a nice way of dealing with it instead by going, well, no, like the fact she's a woman, we have no problem with that. The fact yeah. she's a villain, like what are you dating that? Like why would you date a villain for? Like what's the whole point? And like, I think that's quite a cleverly version of it done. So we all know mm -hmm. there's films that like um, take the piss out of everything that people do and others like cultures and communities out there. But yeah, I think sometimes like Josh said, nowadays to have a little bit of humour in there. And if it's mm -hmm. done well, or it's that kind of terrible, not terrible humour, but it's that, oh my God, why am I watching this sort of thing? But So bad it's good. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I take offence with the fact that she's the worst villain ever, even though I haven't <laughs> seen this. 
because like as soon as you said that, I was like, no, I'm sorry, Doofenshmirtz is the worst villain ever. <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> in fine. in their universe, in their oh, universe, yeah, that's fine. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, we'll we'll cover that with in their universe. <laughs> it's nice as well that um because at the time as well, there was a lot of quite stereotypical lesbians um who were very or um, they were played off as manly and that kind of thing. Like if you're a lesbian, you were like this. And the two leads are very attractive, quite feminine women, like Jordana Brewster, stunning. Um, but they they don't really uh, focus too much on that. They, they just, they're just women who happen to like women. Like they don't focus on like the lesbian tropes, which I, I like. Um, because it is just a fun film and then two people happen to fall in love with in it which is really really fun <laughs> i mean i just like the fact like deb stands for discipline energy beauty and strength oh, i so mean strange. like it just feels that's been taken right out of the drag race of just like, <laughs> like we can't use charisma units to have talent we'll use something else and we'll call it the show of that but yeah I, it's quite yeah it's especially to have the final focus where i know as you said there's a couple of male characters in there but has like a female focus and lead is quite a bit different just because it makes it more not fun but as you say, like a lot of films people might watch even though there's been an increase in female led and female focus mm. dominated like it's quite nice to have it from back then as well so it's not just all about stereotypes it's not all about one letter of the community yeah so it is pretty approachable like the marketing was um was quite stereotypical for the time because they wear short skirts they're attractive women so you can kind of see where the marketing was going to go with all of that but the film was actually uh, written directed by angela robinson who directed and created the l word she directed her before loaded as well and the charlie's angels um tv series back in 2011 but um like she was a massive part of um the l word and um so she knows about sympathetic female and lesbian characters. And Debs actually came from a short that she made the year previous, um, which is about the same thing. It was only a 10 minute short. I haven't managed to actually find the full thing yet because I am curious about that. Um, but it wasn't made from the male gaze, which I think really lends itself well to the story. Because um, if you think about, um, so I was watching, um, an introspective on the comparison of Harley Quinn within Birds of Prey and Suicide Squad. And Suicide Squad made by a man and then Birds of Prey made by a woman. So the the whole presentation of Harley Quinn in, um, in Suicide Squad was as an object to be looked at, to be sexualized and so on. But Harley Quinn within Birds of Prey, she was a woman who was kicking ass. She does look fantastic doing it, but the way that they're filmed and a comparison of the scenes in the study was um, just looking at the shoes and how the legs were presented. The, the, the difference between the two, between like a male director or like directing for the male gaze and just directing it as it should be, as an action scene should be. It's so obvious that they were trying to hypersexualize her in um, Suicide Squad, which a lot of people expect because it's Harley Quinn. But that's why I feel that Debs was more successful with like the portrayal of lesbian characters because it was directed by a woman who is a lesbian with a lot of experience about directing lesbian and women in media. So um, even though it is absolutely stupid, I think it works really well. Yes, it is time for Rainbow Recall, the part of the show where we are going to test my guests of their knowledge of LGBT plus films. Now, thanks for being quite nice, kind of keeping it in the film Oscar genre style area to see your knowledge here all i'm going to do is ask the question tell me the answer and i will tell you the actual answer as well so you don't have to wait till monday or so the following weeks to find out the answers are you both ready Time for me to fail yeah boy so question number one according to wikipedia how many lgbtq plus films have there been in the uk alone oh, so have fuck. a think how many films you think in the uk have been made with the LGBTQ plus genre style. Are we talking indies as well? Yeah. I mean, I've yeah. got a total number here. It's not like ones that have just been released in cinemas. It's ones, okay, cool. not just short films. I mean, it's not just like, it's not also short films on YouTube. It's kind of mm. a, like class as a film. Um, yeah. So, Lauren, how many do you think? 586. Okay. Josh? 
God, that that that's a high number. I didn't. Uh, I'm going to go with 285. I can tell you there have been 236 films okay. made in the Bloody UK. Hell. Yeah. That's in, slower in than grand, I thought. In the grand scheme of things, that's not a lot. That is low. That is no, low. Considering that according to the database of films, uh, like glad that look over all the films over any one year. Like in 2019, out of the like 120 films that were released that they focus on, only like two percent had LGBT people in a positive light or something like that. So it's it will then like that's, it's grown that's over the, the big years. thing, isn't it? Like LGBT members in a positive light. Yeah. Question two. Again, according to lovely Wikipedia. Who was the very first Oscar winner for best actor in a leading role? Gay. Yes. Or just in but general. Member oh. of the LGBT plus. Oh, okay, cool. LGBT oh, plus films. I don't know names. <laughs> oh, I mean, you'll know, you'll know this actor, but it's, he didn't get it for this role, but he got it for, like, obviously, but he's a very famous Oscar winner. Daniel okay. Day-Lewis? Not Daniel Day-Lewis, no. Josh, any guess? I barely know actors' names, never mind LGBT actor names. Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah, I don't pay attention to the Oscars because it's usually so, bullshit. Neil Patrick exactly. Harris, sadly, I don't think has been nominated for an no. Oscar. He's no, won, he definitely hasn't. <laughs> he's won many Tonys. It was actually Marlon Brando. Oh, because apparently, I didn't, I didn't know he was part of the community. He was bisexual. Oh, oh I can see that. According to records, it, was, it wasn't for Godfather. It was for a couple of films prior, but he was the first LGBT Oscar winner of Best Actor. And we're going to jump from actor to actress. Who was the very first Oscar winner for uh, for actress in a leading role? Oh Jesus! This one's a, this one. Uh, she won this one in eighty uh, eight. No oh, God. Um... All I can think of is Anne Hesch. I'm pretty sure it's not Anne Hesch. Tell me, really testing my knowledge of names here. Might be one of those that you go, oh God, yeah, I know. You'll know the name as soon as you say it and you know what she's been in, but it's, it's getting the name. Holland Taylor? No. no. <laughs> I generally can't think of any actresses' names that are part of the community. Okay. The actual uh, answer is Jodie Foster. Of course. Oh. oh. That was for when... That wasn't Alita, was it? First Oscar film winning Best Picture. Moonlight? Josh, what do you think? Brokeback Mountain. So as even though Brokeback was quite... Not controversial, but quite good for its day, it was actually Moonlight that won the first... Academy Award for Best Picture. There's been some of the ones that have sort of won it, but kind of on different themes or styles. But this is the first official one. Did Brokeback Mountain win an Oscar? It won something. And finally, this is going to test you anyway. Um, what was the first film ever made for the in the UK cinema called for LGBT? Characters, central genre was the very first ever UK LGBT plus film. In called. The UK, yeah. No idea. I keep thinking of the SNL skit. Um, my wife is a lesbian. <laughs> no, no, so I married a lesbian, and that's all I keep thinking of now. It's definitely not that. It's not that. Uh, no. Yeah, I have no idea. No idea. It was actually it's called Borderline, and it came out in 1930. So at the end of that rainbow recall, it's one all. So well done. It was a tie. It is now time for your rated, and this is part of the podcast where you guys have sent me in suggestions of your underrated films. I'm now going to put these to my guests, that's Lauren and Josh, and we're going to find out whether they think is overrated, rated, or underrated itself. If you haven't heard of the film, because I know there's a number of different films out there, that is totally fine as well. Obviously, listening in, or even for you two, go have a chance where you can see some of these films. Some of them are amazing. Some of them I still haven't seen myself, because there are just so many good films and choices out there. Thank you to all those who sent one in. Let's go straight away. So first instinct off the top of your head, we're going to start with The Birdcage. Right. Right. 
right. Rated. All right. Love uh, that film. <laughs> I watched it yesterday. <laughs> uh, Priscilla, Great Queen film. of the. It is like it's just. Uh, Robin, Robin Williams is one of the few like, uh, air quotes, straight men who can do that well because he didn't give a shit about gender in his time. To be honest, though, you could put Robin Williams in anything and make it a masterpiece. Uh, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Rated. Haven't seen it. Oh, do it. Uh, yeah, it's a great musical show as well. On tour, okay. I think it's coming on tour now, and like uh, Jason Donovan did part of it for his Dancing on Ice when he was in it mm. this season. So did mm. that. Uh, Handsome Devil. Not seen that one. I don't think I've seen that one either. It's one on Netflix at the moment. It's sort of set in uh, an English boarding school, and it has I forget his name, Andrew Scott played Moriarty and Sherlock. Oh, I love Andrew he Scott. One of the professors in it. Um, Fabulous. It's like the story of two guys in a boarding school learning to come with terms of their sexuality. Mm. I, lo- I love yep. that man. Oh, he's so uh, good. Love Simon. I haven't seen that. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say overrated. <laughs> the Thing About Harry. I have not seen that one either. Uh, so The Thing About Harry is, I think, another Hulu film, original. Uh, mm-hmm. It's set throughout different times. So it's this lad and this other lad go on a car trip to someone's wedding, but then it jumps like five one, years, yeah. jumps another few years. Um, it's quite a good, it's a good film because it shows them in their life and kind of meet up and break up some of the relationships. It has Karamo from uh, Queer Eye in it as a cameo role. And Ooh. it's actually the first time you see a character who identifies as pansexual in a lead role as well. <gasps> um, nice. Oh my God. My people. So, <laughs> so <laughs> it's quite a, like a big film kind of the movement. Um, seahorses. No, never heard one. of it. Yeah. Nope, me either. Uh, but thank <laughs> you. <laughs> this is really great. I should have even researched. But no. Okay. Uh, from what I hear, it has great reviews from the people that I know that I've seen it. <laughs> so um, Alex Strangelove. Rated. Um, remind me what that one is. Uh, it's a guy who's about to have his like whole life ahead of him because he's in high school, about to go to the college of his choice with a girl, but like they yes. want to have sex, but then he doesn't, and it's like him revealing and finding Rated. out. But, yeah. Rated. Good film. The prom. Over. Haven't seen it. It's on Netflix. It's a musical. It's about uh, a girl at a school, and it's her fight for her right to take her girlfriend to prom. Uh, and some out-of-watch actors turn up and join the fight because their acting career isn't going great, so they think by joining a cause, they can get their career boosted. Wow. Um, James Corden's ruins it for me. Uh, um, yeah, I'd love I'm to gonna... see it on the stage. Yeah. Okay. Um, I do... Is it a Netflix original? The Prom started life as a Broadway play, or off-Broadway play, went to Broadway. Okay. Um, even when it kind of first went on Broadway, they actually had a real-life um, LGBT wedding on there as well. Um, and it was a play that was made for the people that were always understudies, never the lead role. Mm. So it was oh. a chance for them to be lead roles and have the chance in the spotlight and the lead. Um, and then for whatever decision, Ryan Murphy decided to cast well-knowns in the roles. I mean, he's got of course. Kerry Washington in it, who is in, who's Olivia Pope in Scandal. It's got Meryl Streep, Nicole Kingburn, Andrew Reynolds and... Um, James Corden. No, yes, but not him. James um, Corden is what's in... his face? Peel. He's in he's the guy that oh, he's very famous. Like Jordan when I bought... yeah, maybe. Kinky Boots. Oh, rated. Never seen it. Okay. It's also a musical. That was on mm. for a while. Um Tucked. Never seen it. Right. Got him. Bad at this. It's a story of a drag queen that like gets a new drag queen under her wing, teaches her the ropes a little bit. Um, it has someone from Rizzle Kicks in it. The Jordan, I think that's one of the names. He plays one of the drag queens in it. Um, oh, Stonewall, Red, right, uh, and Pride, Red. Never seen it. It's uh, a film, kind of one of those films where it's here's a historical. We're going to use, I think, kind of a bit of a fake story, a little bit in it, kind of add a character whilst real stuff's happening around. It, so we've added someone in right. um, kind of about the same time as the mine closures and it's a people in London trying to get pride going and people not liking it a little bit so they attach to a town where a coal mine disaster or they've been struck hard by the coal mine thing 
Um, and it's got a Bill Nile in it and Melda Staunton? Staunton? Yeah. Um, Andrew Scott's in it because, you know, he's got to be in it somewhere because uh, we love him. Uh, and yeah, so it's quite a good cast as well. Well, that is the list of your rated. Thank you to everyone who sent in their own ideas of the films, of underrated films that we looked at there. Unfortunately, that does bring us to an end of the LGBTQ plus film special of uh, Rainbow Rated. Don't forget, you can like us, uh, follow us on Facebook at Rainbow Rated. We've got our Instagram, Rainbow Rated Official. We've now got Twitter as well. Uh, that is Rainbow Rated. That'll be, if it's not up and running already, that'll be done soon. So you can comment, like, subscribe, add in your own comments. Please rate and review us wherever you go. Uh, thank you so much for joining me, you two, on this special. Hopefully we've learned some new films as well that we're going to go watch probably right now yeah thanks for having us um my next one is going to be a bit of a special i'm doing a collab with the untitled podcast we're doing a focus on mental health that will be up actually within the next week or so so keep an eye on for that one and then the the next topic as well will come out a little bit later on guys but thank you so much wherever you are stay safe look after yourselves 